Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. Now, I know that this story may sound fictional. A lot of people don't believe me when I tell it, but... I can assure you that the other persons involved also witnessed what occurred that strange night. So this happened 11 years ago with my ex-girlfriend. It actually changed our relationship for the worse and we ended up breaking up a few weeks after this too. Nonetheless, I still remember this like it was yesterday due to how unexplainable it was. But my girlfriend at the time wanted to surprise me with what she said was an overnight surprise trip. I obliged and felt like I was a pretty lucky guy for her to do something that required so much planning like that. After packing a duffel bag full of clothes and toiletries, we left for what I thought was a resort or some kind of hotel stay. Two and a half hours passed when we pulled off a main road and headed down an off-road path, so I asked her if this was a camping trip and she replied yes. To be honest, I was sort of disappointed as I didn't really like camping all that much and Not to mention, I wish that I knew to pack my hiking shoes and all that. But I didn't complain, of course, because it was still a romantic gesture. Fifteen minutes on this rough road, we finally pulled into a camping ground. The first thing that I noticed was that there really wasn't anyone around us. It made sense, though. This was really far off the beaten path. I was actually surprised her car made it that far out, considering how harsh the road was, to be honest. But anyway, we made a fire pit and she cooks dinner. Everything is going just fine and we're really feeling each other. Uh, We of course take it to the tent as the sun goes down and we're vibing off of each other. And yeah, it's what you would expect would happen as we begin moving things along as young college age kids do. But this is where the first strange occurrence happens. I hear scratching noises on the side of the tent. I try to remember if we set the tent up next to brush or something. Maybe the wind is causing branches to rustle against the tent. And I mean, oh well, that's the woods, right? But maybe it's a bird or something else too. It stops rustling and we continue chilling as if nothing happened. But then things escalate in a really strange way. It's like the wind stopped and the environment just became perfectly silent. 
We both felt uneasy, causing us to get sort of knocked out of our playful mood, I guess you could say. She lay next to me as we tried to concentrate on listening to hear if there was a bear or some other animal in the area or something. But then it happened in an instant. Something akin to an explosion hit the tent tremendously hard. I could compare it to as if, say, maybe a log was thrown in like a, a battering ram against the side of the tent. And I say this because it literally pushed the material in forcefully and felt dangerous in fact. A surge of adrenaline lit through my body as I felt like something violent was outside the tent. I never knew if I was a flight or fight guy, but I guess my next action gives me some idea and I yelled aloud, give me the knife and the flashlight, as I scrambled up and unzipped the tent with tools in hand. My first thought was that I was going to confront some psycho that was messing with us perhaps with a baseball bat or some kind of battering weapon, but I kid you not. I launched myself out of that tent and stood up in a flurry to confront my attacker. A few breaths pass as a cold feeling sets in. I do a 360 scan to nothing. Nothing but silence and darkness. Maybe it was a, a branch that fell on the tent? But no, there was absolutely nothing on the ground where the thud was heard and felt. I yelled out hello again and again to no response until... Only a moment later in the silence, a chill shot up my spine. Get the keys and get out of the tent, I said in a frantic tone as my girlfriend listened and now joined me. And I looked at her car that we arrived in and noticed that it was about 30 yards out by the shoddy off-road path. She didn't even need to know what I was thinking as we both just started to speed walk towards it. Now, you might be thinking at this point that I'm just overreacting, but truly, I cannot describe the terror that washed over me when I looked out in the darkness after investigating the tent that night. I could feel like something was watching me, and to top it off, it was eerily silent too. I know that she confirmed my suspicions too, and she started for the car immediately without question. Our instincts were telling us to get the heck out of there quickly. The walk to the car was really unnerving and felt like a football field away, but finally we get into the car with the keys in hand, and I took the driver's seat. After turning the keys led to some relief as the engine started. Instinctively, I locked the doors and turned the headlights on. We sat for about three seconds trying to rationalize what was happening when my girlfriend started exclaiming, My laptop is moving. Something is in the tent. She said this because she brought her laptop to serve as a lantern after dark. We of course left it in a hurry as well as other items. But I saw what she saw. It was items being rustled around 30 yards away. Without further hesitation, I put the car in gear and started down the rough road. As I tried to calmly drive the car down the dirt path, quickly but carefully, it was a very rough road and I didn't want to get stranded out there. The strangest thing happened next. A loud, piercing sort of ringing noise rang from inside the car's cabin. I turned the radio on and off. I checked the windows. I asked my girlfriend if her car had ever made such noises, and she replied no. I asked her again if she could hear it, as maybe it was just me being under stress, and she said, Yes, I hear it. I don't know what that is, though. Now, I wanted to write this off as a car problem, but if you were in there with me, you would describe it as some kind of... I don't know, like bell continuously ringing. It didn't sound like any car noise that I had ever heard before. But my next instinct as I grew up as a pastor's kid, and my next instinct as I grew up as a pastor's kid, 
I just remember praying for 10 minutes as I was convinced that it was a supernatural or demonic event. We endured the screech for 10 grueling minutes as to my relief it ended suddenly and it didn't fade out or just go quiet either. The loud ring literally just stopped in an instant. I can't describe the feeling in that car when it stopped too. It is just so strange to look back and remember that I felt internally that the ordeal was over since the ring stopped. What I mean is that everything just felt normal again. The panic, the chills, all of that went away in an instant. We ended up down the road another 45 minutes away and finally stopped at a trucker diner. We slept in the parking lot, or at least she did, as I was still too on edge from the adrenaline dumping that I just went through. In attempted bravery the next day, we went back to the campsite as the sun was up. We investigated, but we saw no tracks or anything except for the contents of the tent tossed around but still accounted for. I was hoping, sort of, I guess, that they were missing so that I could write it off as people screwing with us and plundering our tent, but that didn't seem to be the case. We were packed up and gone in less than 10 minutes as the area still felt really weird, but after that, I haven't been camping since. I would go again, but next time I'm going to go with an RV or at least a relatively known location with others around. This place was the remote mountains of Payson, Arizona, far from civilization, and it's one place that I won't be going again. When I was in high school, I lived in an apartment complex in Calabasa, California. It's where all the kids lived that weren't filthy rich that went to Calabasas High School or Agora High School. I became friends with most of the kids in that complex too. We would play basketball some days and on the weekends break into empty apartments and throw parties. One particular party that I was hanging out with a group I didn't know well, it was five other guys and one girl. We were smoking, drinking, and I saw the guys go into another room while the girl was standing in the kitchen drinking a beer. I get up to use the bathroom, and I overhear the guy say, We're going to get this girl. Another guy says, We're going to run a train on her. Now, in high school, I was already a pretty big kid, 6'3", and 250 pounds. When I heard the things that they were planning on doing to her... I walked up to them and said, you guys aren't going to do a thing like that while I'm around. They tried to convince me to join in. It would be fun, they said, and she might get into it. I left the room and told the girl and said that she should probably head home. The party's over. She left and I left shortly after too. I never did have anything else to do with those guys after that. But the kicker is that the boy that said let's run a train on her, I later found out from a mutual friend had actually murdered his girlfriend in college and was killed in a police chase crashing his car in the median. The world is a, a scary place, especially for women sometimes, and I think about this even more now that I have my own daughter. So my father and uncle have a story of living as outsiders or non-natives, Caucasian, young people on the reservation. Their tale was of experiencing a skinwalker. My grandma taught school on the reservation and they lived well off compared to the natives living there. But from what I know, there's a lot of law surrounding the Navajo Nation. 
no natives, primarily older generations, keeping their experiences and stories left unspoken, especially to those not from the culture. Forgive me too if I'm mistaken in any of this, whether culture, ideology, practices, or any other part. I'm just trying to tell the story that my family has only spoken to me in whispers about. My grandmother, father, and uncle lived there for a few years, and their experience was much different than the Navajo people who lived there for generations upon generations. And I just want to tell their story, and get insiders to anyone else who has lived in that community, and any other story some people might be willing to share. So, my father and uncle are about two years apart in age. They lived in Navajo Mountain in the 1980s. My dad was 10 to 12 and my uncle younger, and as it goes, they were always outside riding bikes with their friends, natives of the reservation. My grandma was recovering from an abusive relationship with their father and wasn't too concerned with their whereabouts, being it was a small community. There wasn't much trouble around, nor would they know what real trouble was at that age. Trouble wasn't the issue to young white boys on a reservation then, but Huatara was. It was a typical night, without any parental supervision. The night was colder than usual, and the night sky was blacker than you could imagine. In such a desolate place, the stars in the sky would light the night, but this night was as if the earth had moved to a different dimension, an abyss even. The boys raced each other as they did every night, until they were compelled to force their brakes in unison. They simultaneously looked up, each boy's face melted from carefree innocent and adolescent to unadulterated horror. The boys stood motionless, grasping their bikes with every nerve, muscle and strength in their body on the dirt road, because to the right of them was a mesa, one that they rode by every day, the mesa that paralleled from my family's home. The mesa that they could see through my father and uncle's bedroom every night. This mesa would become fear and nightmare to them from this night forward. Because at the top of the mesa was a roaring fire, taller than any bonfire that someone could assemble, bigger than a group of people could assemble. It raged and was unbelievable. It was almost as tall as the mesa itself. More unbelievable though was the pitch black figure seen cavorting around the bonfire the native boys with my father and uncle informed them that this was not a typical Navajo dance or ritual either. Pits began to form in their stomachs. Friends of my father and uncle turned back around without a word and bolted back to their homes. My father and uncle threw their bikes to the ground and ran across the unpaved road into their home. The two came back in a panic, relaying what they'd seen to my grandmother, but she was unconcerned for the most part. It was apparently a legend of the natives, she told them, and shooed them away. They laid awake all night in their shared room that night, not saying a word to one another. They forced their curtains to close as much as they could, too scared to look out the window and see what they shouldn't have to begin with. Neither could shake the images burnt into their memory, but the sun managed to rise and peek through into their entire room eventually. A sense of release washed over them as the darkness had faded. The boys left their beds and they traveled to the kitchen to try a second time to tell the grandmother what they saw that night. They tried to get a handle on what they saw, but it was as if they couldn't explain it. Again, my grandmother brushed them off. With the coffee and newspaper more important than their story, she told them to climb the mesa to investigate. So the boys wrangled their friends who shared the experience with them that night prior as they passed on their bikes. 
The friends stayed on the dirt road, looking up at the mesa as my father and uncle climbed up to see any evidence of the hell-burning fire they witnessed together. The mesa wasn't much taller than an average one-story house, though, so the brothers took less than two minutes to climb to the top where the nightmare took place. When they got to the top, they were hysterical and also relieved. There was no indication a bonfire of that enormity, or even a fire at all, had taken place on the mesa they had already seen in the night earlier. They climbed down and told the message to the friends who had also been a part of the shocking scene. The native friends looked at them in shock, but neither said a word to them. They immediately turned their bikes around and proceeded home, and... It was never talked about again despite my father and brother asking about it. My grandmother and everybody else in the community just refused to talk about it again. My father is a skeptic. He doesn't believe in anything paranormal like aliens, ghosts, mermaids, I mean, you name it. But whenever I ask about the skinwalker he saw, he always turns pale and white. He gets quiet, jumpy and curt. I had to plead to get the full story out of him, in fact, and I could see goosebumps and every hair standing up on his arms when he shared this experience. My grandma took me to Navajo Mountain in 2019 to show me her history and see how Navajo natives still live on this reservation today. According to her, not much has changed since living there in the 80s too. I hiked and explored what I could of the reservation as to not invade or violate any of the Navajo reservation and its beauty. However, I did feel a change in mood when I visited. My existence felt, I don't know, heavy, as if I wasn't supposed to be there or as if I was invading on territory that wasn't meant for me. Not caused by any of the community there or anything, but just by my presence being on the land or something. I will never forget my experience visiting and all that I learned about the reservation life. I climbed the mesa where the skinwalker my dad and uncle had seen its ritual and I felt pretty normal until I got to the top and stood in the middle. I know it sounds weird but I felt a, a darkness creep into me as I stood there and ever since then I've never been the same. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So my cat likes to go outside every day in the morning. He follows us to the door, takes the elevator down with us, and then goes about his day outside until we bring him back home again in the evening. Now, my cat isn't the most punctual guy, so it's pretty common for him to stay much later in the neighborhood. 
sometimes well into the night for like several days even, or he gets bored and doesn't play for more than two hours and wants to get back inside. The problem is that we're not home, so he just has to wait. My family and I lived in an apartment on the first floor, so my cat's solution is to sit under one of the balconies and meow at the top of his lungs to get our attention. When we're home, it works perfectly fine, but when we're not, it's a lot less effective. So our solution was to gently ask our neighbors that have the key to our apartment to bring him up so he doesn't have to wait outside all day. Those that don't have the key sometimes let him inside the building so he's not literally outside, for example when it's raining. Our apartment is a bit special though because it's bigger than the others so to get inside there are two ways when you get into the main hall. One takes the stairs to the left and open the door that has two locks. The second uses the elevator with the special key that goes directly inside of our apartment and the door only has one lock. The cat is actually used to the second option, and me too because we're both lazy, but when the neighbors that don't have the key let him inside the building, he goes up the stairs and waits. And since I usually use the elevator from the parking two floors below, that means that I don't really see him waiting in the hall and he meows outside the door to get me to open it up for him, or my dad, or my mum. But all around we have our habits with my parents and neighbours and it works fairly well. So, now that you know how everything goes with the little guy, now we get to the good part. My parents like the outdoors very much, so I'm usually left alone in the weekends. But generally, it means just taking care of chores and inviting my friends over so that we can have the apartment to ourselves, which is pretty nice. This time, I was alone. It was late, 11pm-ish, and I was just chilling in the living room before hearing meowing over the sound of the TV. Someone must have let my cat in the building and he's waiting outside the door like usual. I took my keys and started opening the first lock. I don't know about other pet owners, but I know my cat meows by heart pretty much. It's kind of a, a rising meow that's very high-pitched and very cute, and that also has a specific sort of rhythm to it because I've been hearing it nearly every day for like five years. And because of this, I stopped. You see, the noise isn't what it usually is. It's like too deep and just off a bit. But this isn't my cat outside my door, and... He's the only cat around that knows that he has to wait by the door and scream to be let inside. By that point, I had stopped halfway through opening the door and waited to hear him again and noticed scratching this time. But my cat never scratches the door. At that point, I'm a bit weirded out by the situation, but the meowing is getting super loud and I didn't want the neighbors to be woken up, so I continued with my key, but suddenly I heard another noise that really freaked me out. It was a cough. For the record too, I'm not a very cautious person and in my whole 21 years of living in this apartment, I must have looked in the peephole a total of maybe, I don't know, five times, but a small part of my brain told me to do it and thank God that I did it that night. So I let go of my keys and put my eye against the door and I saw it, a man standing there meowing at my front door. To say that I was terrified is really an understatement, but my heart pretty much stopped. I just stood there petrified for what felt like an hour. I don't really know how long it took for me to move again, but eventually my body just took over, I guess. And I did what you'd expect. 
I ran for my phone, stood in the corner of the living room and called the police. By the time that they got there, there was nobody in the front door. I can't even remember when the meowing stopped to be honest and they just took my testimony before telling me to be cautious and left. To this day, I still don't know what that meowing guy wanted. I'm not sure I want to know anyway, but I also don't know how he got inside the building in the first place since you need a key to access it and how he knows that I would open the door if he imitated my cat in front of it. Well, at least I'll be careful from now on I suppose and that's good, but oh, and my cat eventually came back in since then and he's sleeping in my bed as I'm sharing this, so <laughs> there's that I guess. So I dated someone who owned a cadaver dog, but basically they can find dead bodies. It was a new term to me when I met them too. But anyways, they explained that they worked with rescue teams. We live in wilderness country. The dog's job was to sniff out bodies for people who might have gotten lost and died, buried under avalanches, etc. After five months of dating too, my now ex asked if I could house or dog sit. I was more than happy to because it was a great dog. I would be dog sitting for two weeks while they visited family. I was warned that it has happened on hikes before that the dog picks up the scent of a corpse and gave me the steps to follow if it does happen. And the first couple of days were pretty uneventful. But then one day the dog is dragging me down this trail and I'm panicking because I was like, oh no, I'm going to see a dead body, aren't I? But the dog stops at this very stern woman just sort of sauntering along. He keeps looking back and forth between me and the woman. She gives me a quick, your dog isn't well trained, and keeps going. I practically had to drag this dog away to get it away from this woman. And it happens with this same woman a few more times, so I call the owner to bring it up. I describe the woman and my ex is so shocked and confused by this, not familiar with this woman at all. But fast forward to my last night of dog sitting, I was going to bed and I had this horrific nightmare of being held down in the bed by this woman. I hear a bark and I wake up and the dog is standing next to me on the bed. It's also in its alert position staring at the bed and after that I didn't get any sleep and I also never got any answers. This happened about 15 years ago. I was 21 years old and living in my first apartment. It was a small bachelor apartment in a pretty sketchy area. I grew up in a town that was known to be rough and tough, I guess you could say. I knew how to handle myself and learned at a young age to keep my head down and not to go looking for trouble. My apartment building was behind a bar as well. A lot of the customers of the bar would stand outside to smoke. And when they stood outside to smoke, they would be looking at my apartment pretty much all the time. Most of the people who were out smoking kept to themselves. A few would nod and say hello if I passed by. Never any issues. Well, at least until one evening. One evening I came home from work. I passed the bar like I always did and saw this extremely tall man outside smoking. As I passed, he stared at me. I gave him a slight nod, but he didn't acknowledge me. He just continued to stare, and it made me uncomfortable for sure, but I didn't think too much of it. 
Anyway, about an hour later, I hear a knock on my door and it was odd because you have to buzz people into the building here. The building only had eight units and I didn't really know any of the neighbors. So I froze because I really didn't want to talk to anyone, but the knocking continued and so I finally shouted out, who is it? But there was no response. I shouted again, who's there? And the voice said, it's Tom. Now... I didn't know anyone named Tom, so I shouted back, I don't know anyone named Tom, you must have the wrong apartment. The voice said, you may not know me, but I know you, open up so that we can talk. I went over to the peephole and sure enough, it was that tall dude from the bar. So I loudly said, get out of here or I'm calling the cops. I heard his footsteps walk away and I heard the building door open and then close and it was gone. Or so I thought, because a few minutes later, I peeked out the window and he was standing in the parking lot. He seemed to be talking to himself or something. At this point, obviously I'm freaking out. I called my landlord who lived in the building next to me. He told me to call the police and that in the meantime, him and his brother would come and check things out. I call the police and tell them what's going on. They said that a car is on the way. Meanwhile, my landlord and his brother make their way to the parking lot. I watch out of my window and see them approach the tall dude. The tall dude takes one look at them and he just bolts. My landlord and his brother try to chase him, but the tall dude got away. About five minutes later, the police arrive. I give my version of the events and also a description of this guy. And the officer just sort of stares at me and then says... We've had reports of a man matching that description who has been sexually assaulting women. Thank God you didn't open the door. A few days later, I get a call from the officer. He told me part of their investigation was talking to the owner of the bar and the owner called the police when tall dude reappeared after a few days and the police responded and they arrested him. Turns out, he was that guy. I live in Florida and this incident happened about three weeks after Hurricane Irma, so a little while ago now. Back in July, the ex and I had just finalized the divorce and I moved into a gated neighborhood where every house was rented out by the same rental company or landlords. It's a very small neighborhood with about 15 houses tops. All 15 houses are bordered around a man-made lake with the backyards facing the lake. No one really has a fenced backyard too. When you walk out of your back door, you see the lake in front of you and your neighbor's backyards on each side of you. Everyone in the neighborhood seemed very close. Someone was always hosting a family-friendly party or barbecue or having people over to watch sports or something like that. I was and am still depressed about my divorce, so I never partook in these social gatherings. The only person that I got to know was my next-door neighbor, Steve, an active Navy soldier with a huge love for guns. Steve is the true hero in this nightmare too. My daughter, Alice, is four years old and I got her every weekend. Alice's bedroom window faces the backyard towards the lake. I spoil that girl to death too. She truly is my everything and I count down the days to the weekend every week just to be with her. But that's why I was upset when Irma came and I had to go almost three weekends without seeing her. The weekend before the storm, she was with her mum. Then obviously the weekend of the storm, she was also with her mum. 
and on top of that, the weekend after, she had to be with her mum because my power was still out. No AC in Florida is miserable, let me tell you. The humidity was so bad that week that I ended up sleeping in my daughter's room the whole week because she has the only room with a window that faced the lake. I opened the window, exposing just the window screen, so the window from the lake could cool the room as much as possible while I slept. Eventually, the power comes back and Alice starts visiting me again like normal. And that was when the nightmare started. My daughter would complain about the singing lady and how she doesn't like her anymore. I thought that maybe she was referring to one of my ex's friends or one of the teachers at her school. Maybe there was a teacher at her school that sang to the kids that she didn't like. That Saturday night though, Alice woke up in the middle of the night screaming like I've never heard. I ran into her room and turned on the light and found her hiding under her covers. I asked her what was wrong and all she could do was point to an empty corner of her room and say, look, look, but there was nothing there. She was acting as if she saw a ghost. After I calmed her down, she started to talk about the singing lady again. Please tell the singing lady not to come back. Please, daddy, make her go away. Obviously, she was having nightmares, right? I showed her that there was nothing in the closet and nothing under the bed and that there was nothing to be afraid of. She calmed down and went back to sleep. I went back to my room and quickly fell back to sleep too. And it couldn't have been more than 20 minutes before Alice comes running into my room screaming, she's back, she's back. Alice absolutely refused to go back to her room too, so I let her sleep with me. The next morning, Sunday morning, I took Alice out to breakfast and we stopped by Target to pick up a baby monitor. I haven't used one since her mum and I were still married, but I wanted to easily be able to hear her if or when she started having any of these nightmares again so I could respond quicker. After I set them up, I showed Alice how they worked to give her assurance that I could hear her and she was safe, and that night she slept soundly and didn't make her peep all night. The following weekend, Alice had to stay with her mother again because she caught a stomach virus from one of her little friends at school. It was Saturday night and I was sound asleep in my bed. It was around 2am when I heard it. A woman's voice humming a, a soft nursery rhyme through the baby monitor. The humming and the soft singing got louder and clearer as the voice got closer to the monitor. I wasn't dreaming too. I mean, I could hear a woman softly singing lullabies in my daughter's bedroom. I had never been so scared and dumbfounded in my life. I was feeling a mixture of pure terror and just disbelief. Then the voice spoke out. Alice, sweetie, are you awake? Adrenaline shot through my veins. I jumped out of bed and locked my bedroom door. I picked up my cell and I called Steve from next door. He didn't waste a second too. As soon as I got off the phone with him, I heard him storm out of his back door screaming, Don't you move! I ran outside and found him aiming a shotgun at a woman crouched outside of my daughter's window. The one that I had left open after Irma and never closed. Steve quickly dropped his guard when he recognized the woman. It was Jean, the neighborhood maintenance woman. Steve's wife came running out after him and confirmed that it was her. Jean played dumb, said that she was not singing and didn't even know my daughter's name. She said that she was near my daughter's window because she was doing her weekly patrol for gators and thought that one approached our house from the lake or something. That was bull though. She was singing and she called out to my daughter by name. 
Yes, it's true that there have been a few gator spottings around the neighborhood, and yes, part of Jean's job was to patrol the lake at night every now and then, but at 2 a.m.? I obviously knew that it was bull, and even though neither Steve or his wife called her out on it, I could tell from the look on their faces that they didn't believe her either. The next morning, I went over to Steve's house to thank him and tell him exactly what happened. He told me that Jean and her husband have been known to be a little cuckoo, but this was by far the craziest thing to happen so far. And Steve, the absolute saint, helped me install metal bars on Alice's window that afternoon. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.